I'd like to take a survey, as you know I often do. Uh, we sometimes face uh, frustrations in traffic and in our job and in family conflicts from time to time. But I just want to ask you today, how many of you have experienced some kind of frustration this past week? Let me see your hands. Oh, good. You're all human beings. I'm glad to know that. As a part of our character training and growth, we need to learn how to cope with and to overcome frustration. But how do we face frustration? How do we deal with it? And how we handle it reveals to a certain degree the depth of spiritual character and maturity. There is head knowledge and there is heart knowledge. We need to become more deeply converted in heart and mind. We need to be overcomers and we need to grow in godly character. This sermon is part two in a series of overcoming your fears, phobias, and frustrations through faith. The title of the sermon today is Overcoming Your Frustrations. First, I'd like to review the previous sermon on overcoming fears and phobias. A phobia is defined as an irrational, persistent fear of a particular object or class of objects. We listed several kinds of phobias and fears last time. I I think by now you all know what triskaidekaphobia is and erykabutrophobia. Of course, for those of you who weren't here, triskaidekaphobia is fear of the number 13. Erykabutrophobia is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. In Forbes magazine, our most common fears, the article stated, quote, according to Anxiety Disorders Association of America, 19 million people have specific phobias, such as crossing bridges or tunnels. 15 million have a social phobia, for example, public speaking, and 2 million have agoraphobia when sufferers avoid places where they previously had a panic attack. Those who have had one phobia likely have others as well. Well, God has called us to a work of faith. He's called us to overcome our doubts, our fears, and worries with faith. And God instructs us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We briefly discussed last time seven strategies for overcoming anxieties, worries, phobias, and fears. The main key for overcoming, of course, is faith. And I gave you four places in the Bible where it says the just shall live by faith. I won't ask you how many know all four of those references, but let's turn to one, Romans, the first chapter. Romans 1. Actually, Habakkuk 2, verse 4, is the first place in the Bible that mentions the just shall live by faith. And then Romans, the first chapter, verse 17, is the first in the New Testament. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that's from Habakkuk 2, verse 4. I think most of you know Romans 10, verse 17. If you're lacking faith, how do you grow in faith? Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you're nervous, you don't know, you're lacking confidence, 
Just think about Romans 10:17. that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In my personal Bible study recently, I've been reading through Kings of Samuel and Kings and reading about the story of King Saul and then King David and then Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the kings that followed. And it's just fascinating to see how God worked with those individuals who relied on him for faith. The seven basic strategies for overcoming anxieties and worries, I'll just uh, list them for you from the last sermon. Number one was to live each day by faith. Number two was to acknowledge your fears and educate yourself. Sometimes we windmill it. That is, we have certain feelings, but we don't really face up to our feelings. Number three was to look to God for deliverance. Of course, the Israelites were delivered from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. Number four, pray about everything that worries you. We'll probably come across that one again today. Number five, resist Satan's influence that produces fears and worries. I remember one time... Some years ago, crossing, it was dark at night, and I was walking from Fackley Row, Big Sandy, across the airstrip towards the campus. It was totally dark. And I started to get this little tinge of fear. And I realized, hmm, no, I better fear God more than anything else. And when I chose to have a godly fear, then the fear of whatever trepidation or sense that I had in the darkness dissipated, it went away. When you fear God, then you have confidence. It says in Proverbs 14:26, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Well, the, there is much confidence in the fear of the Lord. So number five, resist Satan's influence. Number six, choose the fear of God, which I just mentioned in illustrating my other phobia. Number seven, ask God for more of his love. And let's repeat that one, 1 John 4.17, if you'll turn there, just a, an amazing characteristic of godly character that every one of us needs to have. 1 John 4, verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. We need that boldness of faith. But key, the key of Perfect love, that is casting out fear, is verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I've mentioned before how some people would say, well, Mr. Ames, I was afraid to uh, tell you about your problem. And I said, well, you were. Why were you afraid? Well, you must not love me because perfect love casts out fear. And if you love me, then you wouldn't fear to tell me my problem. Well, you still need courage to do that anyway. But have ask God for that love that casts out fear. So we must and we can overcome phobias and fears. We need more of God's perfect love, and we need to live each day by faith. But we also need to overcome the constant feelings of frustrations. Some of our biblical heroes were frustrated. The Apostle Paul wrestled with a thorn in the flesh. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. We covered this in a sermon on living grace. 
2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, the Apostle Paul writes, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, sometimes God allows us to experience pain and suffering to humble us. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, again, some of us neglect the obvious. When we're in pain and suffering, do we ask God for mercy? Have mercy upon me, O God. The the King David wrote in Psalm 6 and uh, Psalm 51, have mercy upon me. But he sought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we heard in the special music song, I turn to you for strength. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when we're weak, God can show his power and his guidance in you. Therefore, most gladly, Paul writes, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the the Apostle Paul, in a sense, was frustrated from achieving healing or achieving peace and relief from this thorn in the flesh. Let's turn to Luke, the ninth chapter, Luke 9. But God said, the way you're going to handle this, Paul, is because of my grace, and I will give you strength when you're weak. Luke, the ninth chapter, and verse 23. So we have to understand that when we are suffering, that God will give us strength, He will give us peace. He will give us his favor, his mercies, his blessings, his grace. Luke, the ninth chapter, and verse 23. We have to have the same commitment and dedication. Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And some of us have crosses to bear. We may have a disability of some some sort. We may have other debts, financial debts. We may have other uh, situations in our neighborhood or in our family uh, that are very difficult to cope with. But we have to follow Christ not only to bear our crosses, to bear our burdens, but to have, be proactive and, as Jesus said, to follow me, to go forward even with those burdens. Ancient King David was anointed to be the next king of uh, Israel and to follow King Saul's reign. But David had, was on the run for years as King Saul was trying to kill him even three times. How frustrating and how dangerous could that have been? So what did the King David do in that kind of situation? Let's turn back to Psalm 140. Psalm 140. Well, he certainly prayed for deliverance and something that we can do as well in our predicaments. Psalm 140, starting with verse 1. 
Deliver me, O eternal, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. King Saul was after David for years, sending his army after him. And David had to pray for deliverance. Psalm 25 is another prayer of deliverance. Psalm 25, starting uh, with verse 1. To you, O eternal, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those who be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. When you're frustrated, as King David was, when you're in trouble, cry out to God for deliverance. Verses 4 and 5 are actually a later part in the sermon, but I'll read them now and refer back to it. It's a memorization verse. I remember being in the Shakespeare Club as a freshman in Ambassador College, 1962, and Mr. Herbert Armstrong was giving the Bible study, and he said, Brethren, you need to know this scripture, so I know it. Uh, Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways, O eternal. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you do I wait all the day. We need that teachable attitude. Of course, I learned it in the old King James Version. It's slightly different in the new King James Version. But to have that teachable attitude and to ask God to guide you and to teach you his way and his truth. The Apostle Paul and ancient King David were human. They were tested just as we are today. They put their lives in God's hands. They trusted God completely, and they faced their frustrations with faith. What does it mean to be frustrated? The word frustrate means, quote, to prevent from attaining a purpose, to thwart, end of quote. The word comes from the French frustra, which means in vain. The fruits of frustration can include mental anxiety, worry, turmoil, apprehension, nervousness, and restlessness. If we're severely frustrated, we can become daunted, deterred, and discouraged. We're not filled with peace. We're not filled with confidence. What kind of frustrations you all raised your hand, or most of you did, What kind of frustrations do you experience this past week? If you commute uh, to your job, probably traffic congestion, perhaps burdens of too much work, conflicts and relations with others, old men perhaps, I don't know if that's the case here, hopefully not, where a man has refused a date and he's frustrated because that, and maybe the woman is frustrated because she's never asked out for a date. Maybe not getting along with others. Uh, Years ago, there was a situation in Pasadena where five men were housemates. They couldn't get along with one another, and they had arguments. Finally, the minister tried to be a peacemaker, talked with all five of them, and found out that none of them were even reading the Bible. So if you're not even looking to God and his way of life, no wonder you're going to be frustrated. No wonder you're going to have conflicts. Even as Jesus said in John 15:3, now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. 
even if you're just, even carnal people just reading the Bible will be able to have certain moral guidelines in their lives. And certainly our nation at one time when it was a Bible reading nation was more moral. But now people uh, not only neglect the Bible, but are attacking the very uh, authenticity and authority of the Bible. Frustration can also learn to destructive self-image and lack of overcoming, or that is maybe one of the causes of frustration, lack of overcoming or even inactivity. So why do we experience so many frustrations? Perhaps our focus in those cases is on the material rather than the spiritual. But what goals are you setting? One way of producing frustration is setting the wrong goal. Again, the definition of frustration of being thwarted or not being able to accomplish. So if you set the wrong goal, the simple solution to it is to set the right goal. And you know what that is, of course, is Matthew 6, verse 33. We had a sermon number 678. On seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I think all of you know that by memory. So setting the wrong goal can produce frustration. Another way of having frustration is having no goal at all. But God has made us for a purpose. He set goals for us. And when we commit to that goal, of our incredible human potential, of God's kingdom and his righteousness, we minimize life's frustrations. The seven laws of success, you know, the number one goal is, number one law of success is set the right goal. We also can become frustrated when we insist that our will be done. You know, there are strong-willed people. I won't mention my wife in this context. But when the strong will is fashioned towards goodness, as the Apostle Paul was, he was very zealous. He was zealous against God's people. But when that zeal was converted, the strong will was for good and was profitable as a servant of of God when Paul was converted. The selfish attitude is, I want it my way. But Christ gave the example when he said in Luke 22, verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Strong-willed people need to consider surrendering their will to God. Jesus surrendered to God's will. And he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Matthew 6 and verse 10. For the remainder of the sermon, I want to give you seven, of course, seven strategies for overcoming frustrations. Number one is to surrender to God's will. Turn to uh, 1 John, the fifth chapter, 1 John 5. In prayer, we come boldly before God's throne to ask for something. We have a promise in 1 John 5 and verse 14. 1 John 5, verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, 
Whatever we ask, we know that we have the, we have the petitions that we have asked of him. In other words, the petition is on his desk. He's considering it, and it's there before him. This is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And what is God's will? The general will from Genesis to Revelation is revealed to us. His will is very clear. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us a whole way of life. We know his will in general. There may be specific questions that we need to ask, and that's what we pray about. But have you surrendered your will to do God's will? Not only surrendering it, but having a positive attitude towards it. Psalm 40 in verse 8. Psalm 40 is an exciting verse, in essence, reflecting the very attitude of Christ. Psalm 40 and verse 8. I delight to do your will, O God. Now, have you ever said that? Well, yes, I'll I'll try to do it. I, I do need godly character. I need discipline. I will do your will. And you make that decision. That's a part of character development, yes. But have you come to the place where you even delight to do God's will? And your law is within my heart, the way of life that brings about happiness and joy and abundance. So pray that you can come to that point where you delight to do God's will. Can you think of any other scriptures? We were at dinner last night, and I was asking those at our table, can you think of any place else in the Bible where you were supposed to delight in God or in something of that nature? Well, just turn over the page, back a page to Psalm 37, verse 4. And this is, again, one of my favorite promises of God. Delight yourself also in the eternal and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we know, of course, that one of those promises is Philippians 4.19, that God will provide our every need. But will he do more than just your need? Yes, he will, if you delight in the Lord. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the eternal. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. You put it in God's hands, and let him work it out. You have to know what your part is, and some of that may be doing fact-checking or or research, but delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What other scripture in passing can you think of about delighting in the Lord? Psalm 58, verse 13. Psalm 58. I'm sorry, Isaiah 58 and verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I presume that 100% of us here today will call the Sabbath a delight. Delight. Uh, What a shame it was that our former association called it a burden. What are you talking about as a burden? Call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then, verse 14, you shall delight yourself in the eternal, in the Lord, 
and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the eternal has spoken. Yes, we can delight in doing God's will. We had sermons number 109, self-will or God's will. Sermon number 243, willing to do God's will. And sermon number 600, sensitive to God's will. Some of us have had to battle with self-will. And, of course, that's a fruit of the flesh, is self-will. God wants us to have a willpower. A willpower that's a part of godly character that's in harmony with his will. But for some of us, we've had to have a conversion from that strong, hard-headed self-will so that we would humble ourselves to seek God's will. Mr. Herbert Armstrong was one such person. In his autobiography, chapter 17, it's titled, At the Crossroads and a Momentous Decision. And the one section, Joy in Defeat, is a very inspiring section, and I would encourage anyone who is counseling for baptism to be sure to read that section of Joy in Defeat, or actually the first part of that chapter 17 of the autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong. This is what he wrote on page 312, Joy in Defeat, is the subhead. Quote, This surrender to God, the repentance... This giving up of the world, of friends and associates, and of everything, was the most bitter pill I ever swallowed, yet it was the only medicine in all my life that ever brought a healing. For I actually began to realize that I was finding joy beyond words to describe in this total defeat. I had actually found joy in the study of the Bible, in the discovery of new truths heretofore hidden from my consciousness. And in surrendering to God in complete repentance, I found unspeakable joy in accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior and my present high priest. End of quote. Total surrender to God is the best way to overcome frustration. And anyone considering baptism should read this section of the autobiography. So sometimes we're frustrated because we insist on our own way and our own will. We may be obsessed with some kind of habit or decision or goal or, or way of doing things. And sometimes we have to, as the expression is, let go and let God. We need to pray that God's will be done and not ours. So surrendering to God's will brings happiness. As we read in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. So pray that God's will be done and not yours. Strategy number one for overcoming frustration is surrender to God's will. Number two is always maintain godly priorities. We all know Matthew 6.33 by heart. We sang the song, Consider the Lilies, which led up to that very verse. In a Living Church News article, July-August 2011, Richard H. Sedlacek wrote an article titled, Our Christian Priorities. He concludes the article as follows, quote, We have seen that the four imperatives, the four priorities are in order. One, God. Two, family. 
Three, work. Four, church. If we keep these priorities in balance, not neglecting any of them and not putting them in the wrong order, we can look forward to the time when we will find ourselves standing before Jesus Christ as spirit beings, glistening in glory as he returns to earth to bring world peace, happiness, and prosperity to all mankind. End of quote. So we need to have our priorities straight. And sometimes frustration comes because we are either neglecting God's priorities or putting the wrong priorities into practice. Let's turn to Matthew 28, but you know that mission, but let's review it. It's a, called the Great Commission by the subheads in some Bibles. Matthew, the 28th chapter. And Jesus was talking to his apostles. He was resurrected. He was giving them final instructions. And he said in verse 19, Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And we are very thankful for the uh, reach that we have in preaching the gospel, ministers that are being called in many different nations and are serving Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in, as should be, into, the Greek word ice, into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So how can we accomplish that mission? Well, Christ gives us the encouragement right at the end, I am with you always. And how many times I claim that promise. I say, Father, Jesus, Lord, you promise that you will never forsake us, that you're with us to the end of the age. That's how we can accomplishment, accomplish the mission. But also verse 18, how we accomplish the mission, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. If Christ has that authority, he has that power, he will open the doors for the gospel. And we have to pray, of course, that... Christ will open more doors, and we're thankful for the doors that he has opened, and he has closed some, but he will open others as time goes on. So think about your priorities. We have to be alert to God's guidance in our mission. We have several sermons along that line. Number 397, why our mission matters. Number 463, what is our mission statement? And we could ask you, I think, during that sermon, what is your personal mission statement? What is your purpose in life? Number 539, a different gospel and a different mission. And number 689, your incredible mission. Let's turn to Acts, the 16th chapter, Acts 16. As I mentioned, we have to be alert to God's guidance as we perform our mission. Paul and Timothy were traveling together. And notice what happened when they tried to go to northern Turkey, referred to here in the book of Acts as Asia. Acts 16, starting with verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. How did that happen? most likely through circumstances. And sometimes circumstances bump up against our particular activity or project or goal. I know sometimes I have a list of maybe 10 people I'm trying to call on the phone. 
The first one is busy. The second one is voicemail. The third one is a wrong number. And I'm saying, well, Father, what is it? You don't want me to call these people? So I have to say, you know, your will be done. And sometimes circumstances prevent us from going to one place or another. But we have to be alert to do God's will. After they had come to Mysia, verse 7, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So they went on over to Greece. The point is we sometimes bump into obstacles, but we have to be alert to the doors that God opens up for us and the doors that he closes for for us sometimes. We have to accept God's guidance and patiently wait for his purpose to be revealed to us. If you're frustrated, ask for God's guidance. So what are your daily priorities? Is prayer the most important priority in the morning when you get up? I mean, obviously, we've talked before about our physical needs and other things, but is it a strong priority for you in the morning? Surrendering your time and your life to God will help you overcome frustration and lead to contentment and fulfillment. But I hope that everyone here realizes, yes, when I get up in the morning, before I go out to work, before I go to school, whatever my activities are, I need to acknowledge God because he's given me the breath of life I breathe for this day. He's given me the protection that I need this day. He's given me the guidance I need this day to be a successful person, an ambassador for Christ, and to be a light in the world. So number two strategy for overcoming frustration is always maintain godly priorities. Number three is maintain a positive attitude. Dr. Meredith emphasized that in his booklet years ago on seven laws of radiant health. And you realize that our mental attitude does affect our physical health and mental health. Last night at dinner, I I asked one of our guests uh, how he dealt with frustration. Uh, He said he had seen people overreact in certain circumstances, so... When he came to a frustrating circumstance, he tried to see the good in the circumstance and try not to let the negative bother him. Another way we, of course, apply this principle of a positive attitude is Romans 8 and verse 28. Let's turn there. We had a whole sermon on that. That's sermon number 189, Romans 8:28. You know, when things go wrong, you say, well... Uh, what is God doing here? Or do you get angry at the persons who are putting you into a negative situation? Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You know, you take a look at so many things that have happened in the church the disruptions in the church, the splits among various uh, church groups. And why why was God doing that? I remember one person was just very upset. Why did God allow this to happen? Well, as Mr. Apartian used to say, God is still sifting and sorting. And God is really testing who is really faithful, who is really dedicated, who is really converted in this case. 
I think you can think of several biblical examples of Romans 8.28. Here, Joseph was a teenager sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he becomes prosperous as a faithful steward in, in the uh, Egyptian house and then falsely accused and then sent to prison for years. And then God, of course, blesses him as he's one of the uh, attendants within the prison. But how would you approach that? If something goes wrong for, for you, perhaps God is working something in the long term that's going to benefit you. Joseph went through humiliation, falsely accused in prison, and yet in one day he became the ruler over the great Egyptian empire under Pharaoh. All things do work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But we have to persevere and maintain faith through our tests and through our trials. Sometimes there's something that we can do, and we have to understand the prayer of serenity. I think some of you know that prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So there are some things we can't change, but we pray about it, and we have to sometimes accept our circumstances. Sometimes we pray and ask God to change the circumstances, which I do frequently. But we have to know that there are some actions, resources, options, alternatives we can take. And if we have the wisdom, we can know the difference. So Philippians 4 and verse 6, you know that scripture for positive mindedness. Philippians 4 And verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Can you do that? Here's an instruction from the Bible. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So if there's an anxious situation, God says, talk to me about it. Tell me, what what are your suggestions? What do you want? How do you want to handle this? And you do it in faith, and you do it with thanksgiving. And the result is not frustration. The result is just the wonderful opposite of peace of mind. Verse 7, Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You can't pay, you can't buy peace of mind for with money. But you can through prayer and through faith. And then, of course, one of Mr. Partian's favorite scriptures about our thoughts and our thinking. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, whatever things are good of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. On these things, or in the King James, think on these things. And the Apostle Paul goes even further. He said, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Follow the leaders as they follow Christ and the God of peace will be with you. So I hope, brethren, we can meditate on those things that we can always maintain a positive attitude.
Pray about anything that worries you. Think positively. God will work out a positive solution to your problem. He'll give you peace of mind rather than frustration. Number three strategy for overcoming frustration is maintain a positive attitude. Number four is practice giving as a way of life. Not getting what we want is what is frustrating. Little children who are selfish, they just... They're just crying and screaming because they can't get what they want. And that's selfishness. We have to make sure that our motivation is just the opposite. What is our motivation? We need to have the right godly attitude of giving as opposed to getting. And you know the scripture, Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Mr. Herbert Armstrong emphasized that as a way of life. Christianity is a way of life. It's a way of giving, not getting. The Moffat translation has, in Acts 20.35, it is happier to give than to get. I know the day is uh, still, well, I guess it's what, about 8.20 for sunset tonight, so you still have a little time. But did you do an unselfish deed yet today? Did you spontaneously help someone in need today? By the way, we do appreciate all of you who do serve in so many ways here in the Charlotte congregation every Sabbath with ushering, food service, and parking, and the hall arrangements, and audio and video. Uh, So many ways that many of you are serving. We just thank you very much for that help and that service. And, of course, tomorrow at the picnic, we thank all of you who are contributing and serving tomorrow as well to make that such a special fellowship and enjoyable day. And uh, I will be defending my co-championship in chess tomorrow, by the way. The other, I mentioned this before, but the bumper sticker had this statement, do random acts of kindness. You just think... Oh, well, here's someone I don't know. Uh, Can I help you, ma'am? Or can I help you, sir? Do random acts of kindness. But God's way of life is the way of giving, and God's work gives freely. Let's turn to that in Matthew 10, Matthew the 10th chapter, so that we know that it's not only our personal mission and way of life, but it's God's way of life for his work. Jesus was telling his 12 disciples in Matthew 10 and verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. And here's the principle, freely you have received, freely give. And God has freely given us the truth. He's given us the gospel, and we're giving that freely to the world. We pray for open doors. We pray for the resources to preach it more effectively. But freely you have received, freely give. We need to have that humility. As Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Strategy number four is practice giving as a way of life. Number five is practice patience. When you're in a frustrating situation, Do you maintain a positive and tranquil mind? Do you practice patience? Patience is another strategy for overcoming frustration. 
Think of 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Well, we can just quote it, but let's read it. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And I was thinking that, well, maybe the New King James would change the word long-suffering to patience, but it did not. The new, the NIV translated, love is patient. But notice 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long. No, why? You know, you think suffers long. That means you endure difficult people. You endure obnoxious insults. You endure all of these various things to a certain degree. You suffer long. You're, you're patient. You endure through the trials and the tests and the discomfort of certain circumstances. But notice love suffers long and is kind. We won't go through through the whole chapter here, but to emphasize, yes, you can overcome frustration by being patient. I told you the story before of one of our Burmese members many years ago who was going to meet with one of our ministers in Bangkok, Thailand. And he had to go by foot over the mountains and hills over to over the border into Thailand and go to a port on the river where he could get a boat and then that boat would take him the day trip down to Bangkok. Well, as it turned out, the boat only goes once a day. So after traveling all these hours over the hills and getting to the port on the, on the river, the boat had just left, and here he is. But in the typical patient Asian way, what did he do? He just folded his arms, folded his legs, and just sat there, you know, for the next 24 hours. I don't know if he sat there for all 24 hours, but he had the patience to wait for another day for the boat to come. In the Western world, we don't have that kind of patience. But practice patience. And we have in our church bulletin today the uh, commentary by our director of church administration, Importance of Patience. So we know how important it is. It's important in our family relations. It's important in every relationship. Number five strategy for overcoming frustration is practice patience. Number six, again, is one of my my favorite ways of life, strategies, principles of living. Claim God's promises. Let's turn to 2 Peter, the first chapter. Of course, I've given sermons on this before, but it's such a gift that God gives us. He gives us hundreds of promises in the Bible, and he means for you to know those promises and to claim those promises and to remind him of those promises and to ask him to fulfill those promises. Second Peter 1 and verse 2. I'm still in First Peter here. Second Peter 1 And verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Again, we need that living grace we heard in a sermon a few weeks ago. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Just that one verse alone should relieve any anxieties, worries, frustrations that we have, if we believe what he just said in verse 3, that he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have a revelation from God through his Spirit 
We understand the truth, our calling, our potential. We know prophecy and the sequence of events. We know the ultimate destiny of human beings. We know the end of the age. We know the ultimate descent of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to this earth and to see that God is going to create all things new. He continues in verse 4, "...by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Pentecost will teach us the miracle of conversion. When we look out in the world, we see Satan's nature, human nature, and to realize that human beings can actually have divine nature, the very spiritual love of God in our hearts, in our minds, in our character is awesome. Exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you know God has given those promises, one of which is 1 Corinthians 10.13. Let's turn back there. When we're experiencing pain, suffering, challenges, probably insoluble problems from our point of view, how do we face those? 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Here's one promise that we can claim. No temptation has overcome you except such as is common to man. Every one of us thinks that our pain, our trial, our test, our problem is unique. That no one else in the world has had a worse problem than the one we're experiencing. But God says it's common to man. And Christ, of course, was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. But God is faithful, here's his promise, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So I hope that we can claim that promise and understand that as we go through trials, God gives us comfort. He gives us ways of coping with our problems and tests and trials and pain. On the positive side, we can ask God for, as we read earlier, Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Have any of you prayed for the desires of your heart? Remember, there's a qualification there that you delight yourself in the Lord. Some old-timers have heard me tell the story, but for some new people, back in 1967, the Israelis preempted uh, what it was anticipated to be a war, an attack by Egypt and um, Syria and Jordan. And they, uh, in a six-day war, uh, conquered uh, most of the territory and regained the old city of Jerusalem. Before that point in time, Jews were not allowed to go to the Western Wall or the Temple Mount area because it was in the, called a, the uh, East Bank or the eastern part of Jerusalem. But after the Six-Day War... They gained control over the old city of Jerusalem. 
And of course, there was great rejoicing for the first time in many centuries that they had access to the holy places there in Jerusalem. And so at that point in time, we had a Plain Truth magazine article on it, and I thought, I want to go to Jerusalem. And I began claiming this promise of Psalm 37.4 that, Father, now that Jerusalem is accessible and under the control of Israel, I would like to go to Jerusalem. And I prayed that year after year after year. And it wasn't five years, ten years, or fifteen years. Seventeen years later, from 1967 to 1984, Mr. Raymond McNair came into my office there at Ambassador College in the administration building in Pasadena and say, uh, Dick, he says, Mr. Armstrong would like you and your wife to go with the students on the archaeological dig at the city of David in Jerusalem this summer. That was a jump for joy moment. I actually jumped for joy. But yes, God did fulfill the desires of my heart. We went to on a European tour and spent six weeks in uh, Jerusalem and then went on even to uh, the Sinai Peninsula uh, where we went up to uh, Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, climbed that, that mountain with the students as well. Of course, my wife and I were the last ones up the mountain, but at least we made it up there. But God did give us the desires of our heart. So when you're facing a trial, when you're frustrated, claim God's promises. Number six, strategy for overcoming frustration. Claim God's promises. Number seven is apply the seven laws of success. Now, when your pathway is blocked, what do you do? Well, you can use law number five, which is resourcefulness in the seven laws of success. You look for other options. You look for alternatives. In problem solving, you try to think outside the box. What can I do? How can I I solve this problem? You have to uh, be proactive on the other hand. And you, there are those who, I think I was that way as a teenager. I think probably uh, some of us have felt that ubiquitous or attitude, nobody loves me. I I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you once in your life had said to yourself, nobody loves me? You know, I think there there are a lot of adults that uh, maybe even this day and age that are so lonely that, that have that particular attitude. But how do you counteract that kind of a frustration? Well, you are proactive. You use the seven laws of success. You be productive. You be outgoing. You develop your talents. And we do appreciate our teenagers here in Charlotte who have achieved various skills and certifications, some of them with CPR, some with uh, Red Cross lifeguarding uh, certifications. And uh, Mr. Sheldon Munson has mentioned that through the adventure of trek there for a living youth camp that they needed individuals who had wilderness um, first aid certification. And uh, there are several who have gone through that certification and now have been able to help in the adventure programs for a living youth camp. There's, of course, uh, Red Cross babysitting. You may not know that, but for young people ages 11 for 15, they have various courses for children, young young people, to uh, help them with the principles of babysitting. 
And of course, many community colleges offer programs with certificates available in such areas as fitness, floral design, nutrition, uh, cooking, etc. And many community colleges enroll young people who don't have um, high school degrees in addition to individual classes uh, like writing, painting, performing arts, etc. In one particular case, um, there are computer certifications that do not have age limits. Marco Callisan, at age nine, became one of the world's youngest Microsoft certified systems engineers in 2010. So the point is, is the, is the focus on yourself or is the focus on producing, growing, being more skillful so that God can use you in a more effective way. Some of you know the old Jewish proverb that came from the Babylonian Talmud. A father must teach his son a trade. Anyone who does not teach his son a trade is as if he taught his son robbery. So we all need to develop our talents and our abilities. We also, when we think of the seven laws of success, don't forget the third law, maintain good health. You know, I wrote my little lesson book years ago, and I still try to keep up my week at a glance in here and write in here every once in a while my lessons for 2012. And um, as I think I've shared that with you before, uh, here's one, 1201, triple check. Uh, 1202, ask questions. Um, no, I don't share that one with you. No, that one. No, uh, never mind. <laughs> but we all have to learn lessons from life. And uh, one of those is maintaining good health. I used to write in one of my lessons book years ago, when depressed, go out and run or jog. So exercise releases stress. It promotes emotional and mental health as well as physical health. Don't forget the sixth law of success as well, which is perseverance, stick-to-itiveness, and particularly when you're facing frustrations, you need that perseverance. I'll just quote from Mr. Rod McNair's article, Bounce Back, from the July-August 2011 Tomorrow's World magazine. He writes, quote, Good parents will teach their children how to deal with setbacks and difficulties. They will help them understand that, quote, life involves many frustrations, and it's only through experiences with frustration that we develop a tolerance for it. This enables us to turn adversity into challenge and persevere in the fact, in the face of it. Perseverance, that all-important, if at first you don't succeed attitude, is the primary quality in every success story. End of quote. And that's quoting from How to Raise Happy Kids, uh, Reader's Digest by John Rosemond. Mr. McNair continues, We are God's children. Is he also teaching us to persevere under stress? If we do not face our problems squarely and courageously, we can spawn other new unrelated problems. Frustration erodes our faith because we are not facing reality. And running from our problems does not make them go away. But admitting them and confessing our mistakes, 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But admitting them and confessing our mistakes is the first step to successful bouncing back.
So don't forget the sixth law of success of perseverance. The seventh law of success is to seek God's guidance continuous or his continuous guidance. Turn to Proverbs, the third chapter, Proverbs 3. And uh, these are living, living laws. And as we practice them, put them into practice in our lives, we can be happy, we can be productive, we can fulfill God's will in our lives. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes we're puzzled why circumstances are the way they are. We have to be careful not to blame others for our circumstances, but to take responsibility for our actions. In all your ways acknowledge him. I've told you how sometimes I get a little perturbed when we're going out the door shopping and my wife says, oh, well, well, well let's, let's pray first. So, okay, so before we go shopping, pray and ask God blessing on, on the shopping trip and God blesses the shopping trip. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your paths. So we want to acknowledge God in all our ways. That's the seventh law of success that he will give us his continuous guidance if we trust in him to give us that guidance. And then Psalm 1, Psalm 1 tells us how we can prosper. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And with all of the peer temptation and influence about us, you know, we are tempted to go in the counsel of the ungodly. But blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. How many are scorning God's way of life these days? But his delight, there's another delight, is in the law of the eternal, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Yes, he's going to be productive, not just sitting there, With self-pity, he's going to get out there and do something of value. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in his season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Another one of God's wonderful promises. So strategy number seven to overcoming frustration is to apply the seven laws of success. We are in training to become kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Our calling requires mature spirituality. Our calling requires us to overcome fears, phobias, anxieties, and frustrations. Our calling requires us to grow in faith, to grow in grace, and to grow in the knowledge of Christ. God gives us the power to grow in godly character. And we'll learn more about that Pentecost weekend. God gives us the spiritual power to overcome and mature if we stay close to him every day. Today we briefly discussed seven strategies to overcome frustrations and to grow in godly character. Number one was surrender to God's will. Number two was always maintain godly priorities. Number three, maintain a positive attitude. Four, practice giving as a way of life. Number five, practice patience and long-suffering. Six, claim God's promises. And seven, apply the seven laws of success. 
I want to give you one final key to faith, happiness, and abundant living. If you'll turn to Philippians, the second chapter, Philippians 2. Now, I know that our children in their Bible classes have memorized Philippians 2.14. So let me see the hands of those of you who know Philippians 2.14. Good. All right. Children, raise them high. Very good. Okay. Uh, Adults should know that as well. Philippians 2.14 is one, of course, that applies when we think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Uh, But we have modern-day hard-headed complaining Israelites. And so he tells us in Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complainings and disputings. I won't ask you to ask, uh, ask you to raise your hands of how many of you have accomplished that, but it is God's instruction. The King James Version says, do all things without murmuring and disputings. But I want to focus on verse 12 and verse 13. Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's to recognize and to know that you know the real God, the creator of heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. And you know him as the lawgiver, the life giver, the sustainer, the designer, the one who fulfills prophecy, the one who answers prayers, as the one who's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. You know him as the eternal who heals And you know that he's the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know that God, and you reverence him, and you stand in awe of him. Godly fear and godly love are not mutually exclusive. They're mutually complementary. And so we stand in awe of the creator God, and we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But how do we do that? Verse 13 gives us the answer. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God works in us. I claim that promise regularly. If you have a weak will, that is, you can't discipline yourself to do what you know is right, ask God to work in you. that He will even give you his will to do his will and to do his pleasure. And not only just to have the attitude, the right attitude, and the strength of will to do what is right, but also to accomplish his good pleasure, to do his good pleasure. So, brethren, let's draw closer to God and do his will, to do his work, and to do his good pleasure. Let's continue to accomplish God's will and his work with joy, with faith, and with delight, and with zeal. And then we'll experience godly peace instead of fear and frustration. One final scripture, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Let's turn there. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. One that will help any of you who have nervousness, anxieties, and still have a remnant even after all of these strategies. There's another awesome promise in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. How can you have peace of mind? 
and overcome all these anxieties and fears and frustrations. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, that is, God will keep the individual in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you're in anxiety, you're in a state of nervousness and worry, he says, fix your mind on the throne of God in heaven. Remember, Christ, your Savior, is there. Your great high priest is there. So you can have perfect peace when you focus on God's throne in heaven. So let's continue to overcome daily with Christ in us, growing in spiritual maturity and in godly character. And pray that God will use us even more effectively and more powerfully in accomplishing the Great Commission. Let's live every day by faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith.